Hello and welcome to the Anchor Bible Study Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with our Wednesday evening Bible studies here in this podcast. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's lesson. If you got your notes for Romans, studying Romans, obviously, with a backdrop of how to counter Calvinism. Calvinism comes from ancient paganism, ancient fatalism, and it has seeped into the church and has become mainstream, and most Christians are are hearing Calvinism or Gnostic Manichaeanism, and they don't pick up on it. They think it's Christian. So... As we go through Romans 9 through 11, which is the big chapters that Calvinists like to use, we've been unpacking that. So now we're in chapter 11, and we're going to unpack some more things that militate against Calvinism. So in verse 1, it says this, I say then, has God cast away his people? What people? The church? Who is he referring to? The Jews, Israel. Has God cast away his people? He goes, certainly not. So... Here's, again, more of an affront to replacement theology to Reformed Calvinistic churches who believe that the church has replaced Israel and that God can just simply transfer the promises from Israel to the church, which is nonsense. So clearly in chapter 11, Paul is saying he has not abandoned Israel. He is still going to use them. They have a purpose and a plan. And even right now, Paul is going to explain what the plan is for the Jews, even when they're in unbelief. Okay? So, he goes on. Paul says, this is the evidence that there are still Jewish believers that believe in Messiah. For I also am an Israelite, the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. So, God now hasn't rejected his people. There is a remnant still. I'm one of them, Paul is saying. I have come to faith. Just like I said in chapter 9, he's saying that there's two Israels. There's a believing element and a non-believing element of Israel, of the nation of Israel. And verse 2, he says, God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Now, here's the thing, again, going back to foreknowledge. And we described in our understanding of foreknowledge that foreknowledge is related to God's omniscience. God knows all. We would even go further in that God knows hypotheticals. God knows what we call counterfactuals. He knows all ranges of possibilities, whatever there is, a trillion, a million, whatever the range is. And we got glimpses of this in the Bible. Now, the glimpse of this, one time David asked the Lord, if I go this way, will Saul get me? And if I go this way, will I go free? And God says, yeah, if you go this way, Saul will get you. So guess what David did? Went the other way. But what God was telling David is, no, if you do take that, this is how it's going to end. So God was showing he knows counterfactuals, that he knows what possibilities are there. Same thing is true in Jesus' ministry. Remember when he cursed Bethsaida, Chorazim, and Capernaum, for he says if the miracles were done in Sodom and Gomorrah as they have been done in you, they would have, notice the hypothetical, the counterfactual, they would have what? repented. Sodom, he's saying, I know if I would have done this in Sodom, they would have repented. That's called a counterfactual. That's called a hypothetical. Okay, so here's my question. Let's see if you guys know the answer. Because God in his omniscience 
foreknows things, does that imply or entail that just because he foreknows something, does that entail that he predetermined it? The Calvinist answer is yes, because they impregnate foreknowledge with determinism, which is not there. Does God know what you're going to do tomorrow? Yes. Does he cause that? No. Does he know what's going to happen in 20 years? Of course he does. A thousand years. Of course he does. But he doesn't cause it, per se. He knows about it, but he doesn't determine it. doesn't decree it. In Calvinism, now check this out. God only knows what he decrees. What's the problem with that? God only knows what he decrees. Right. So in Calvinism, omniscience of God is limited to what he decrees, that God only knows what he says is going to happen. In Calvinism, there is no counterfactuals. There is no hypotheticals. Those don't exist with God in Calvinism. But notice how it limits God's omniscience. So God knows only the knowledge that he decrees, and nothing will happen beyond that, because he decrees everything. Paul? Absolutely, it's all there. But the Calvinist says, no, 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 you're mistaken, Paul. The Calvinist says, look, it's really not a choice. God's going to decree if someone rapes somebody, and God's going to decree if someone gets saved, and God's going to decree someone to go to hell. And you're thinking, I have never read that Bible. I've never read that. Yeah, you're, I know, you, you, you and I haven't read that Bible. But they're in the churches here locally, and the congregation sits there, and when they say, God is control of everything, what do you mean? Well, he decreed who would be saved, and he decreed who would be lost. And then he decreed all evil. Is that a problem? But the congregation sit there and take it. I would get up and walk out if someone told me that. So the Calvinist is going to say that God decreed evil, that he decreed a rape of a woman, he decreed abortion, he decreed the Holocaust, he decreed all the bad things that would happen to you, he decreed it? Uh, that's not the God of the Bible. That's a monster. You're right. So Calvinism's God, that God doesn't know all. He doesn't know counterfactuals. He doesn't know hypotheticals. He's limited in his knowledge. And because he lacks the power, he has to control everything. Who is more powerful? A God that has to control everything or a God who can give freedom to creatures and still be in control? You see which one's more powerful? That's the God of the Bible. Is that I can give freedom to angels, demons, Satan, humans, and I'm still in control of this whole thing without violating their will. Now, that's a, that's a powerful God. The God of Calvinism is so non-powerful is that he has to control that you brush your teeth tonight. He decreed that you brushed your teeth. He decreed that you would get up to work tomorrow and go to work. He decreed that. So you don't have any free will. You're going to do that because he decreed it. And so when bad things happen to you and you say, why did this happen to me? Then the Calvinists will say, because God decreed it. And you say, that's, that's, why would he do that to me? Well, maybe you need to learn something. We don't know the mystery of God, so they, they pun it. 
to it's just a mystery. Okay. So when it says God has not cast away his people who be foreknew, please answer this question. What did God know about Israel? Even though he chose, he chose them, and he chose them at the time after the Exodus in the wilderness. That's when he chose them to be a nation, okay? Now, he chose Abraham, obviously, but they became a nation in the wilderness. But he started everything with the patriarchs and was working through that. Okay, so when God chose Israel, what did he foreknow about them? They would be rebellious, and they would ultimately reject the Messiah. How do I know that? Because it's predicted in Scripture. All i got to do is read Isaiah 53, and I can definitely tell that they're going to reject the suffering servant. It was predicted. And then it was predicted by Moses, going back to him as a prophet and all the other prophets, that Israel would be scattered among the nations for their, that rebellion. They would suffer a penalty for rejecting the Messiah. It was all predicted. Why? Because God foreknew it. But what else did he foreknow about Israel? They would reject their Messiah, but they would come to faith and come back to him as a nation. He knew that. So in this period of time that Paul's talking about, he's saying, look, you're seeing the temporary set-aside of Israel, and God knew they would do this, but he still has a plan and purpose for them. So he has not forsaken his people because they actually one day will come to faith. And he says this in chapter 11. What? All Israel will be saved. He mentions that. So that's the ultimate plan for Israel. He's not cast Israel away. So when these knuckleheads come to you with replacement theology and they say, God's done with Israel, the church is Israel, they're being knuckleheads. They're not reading the text. Now, he says, or do you not know that the scripture says of Elijah how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed a knee to Baal. Aha! So Paul is making the point, look, what you have to understand is not only has God not cast away his people, he's going to use them again in the future, but he's bringing up the remnant theme of Israel the remnant theme of Israel, which Isaiah is the hallmark of where the remnant theme comes from. Okay, what is the remnant theme? It means it's the believing element of Israel. The believing. There's always been a remnant, always been a minority of Jewish people who truly were saved, right? How about the church? Are all people who are members of the church saved? No. Jesus made that abundantly clear in the the kingdom parables, the mystery kingdom parables, Matthew 13, where he said there will be wheat and tares. So you and I should not expect a pure church. Just like if you and I were in Israel, you should not expect that every Jew walking around, even going to the temple, was saved. That's just not true. It would be a minority that would be, and the same is true in the church. You have the wheat, that's the minority, and the majority is the tares. That's how the church is formed, just like Israel. That's where we get the remnant concept. Okay, so he's explaining the remnant concept, and he says, verse 5, even so, and he says, well, that was, 
Basically, when he says even so, the Greek is what's, what he's trying to say is this, is that what is true back in Elijah's day is true today. So at this present time, there is a remnant according to election of grace or the choosing of grace. Now, again, let me rehash how people are chosen, how the nation of Israel is chosen, how the church is chosen. We talked about this in salvation, that people are chosen after they believe. Okay, Matthew 22 is the passage that many are called, few are chosen. So you, you take the invitation, and once you take the invitation, then you're chosen to be given wedding garments, which, re, which references the, the, the righteousness of Christ. You're giving that after you believe, okay? It's, it almost seems simultaneous, but there is a sequential order in salvation. The same is true with Israel. He was going to start a new nation through Abraham and the patriarchs, and then they are chosen to be his nation after the exodus, okay? So it's it, it, it chosen typically is after something has happened, and most of the time it's chosen for a particular benefit, blessing, or service. A particular benefit, blessing, or service. That's why the guy's given wedding robes after he responds to the invitation. That is a benefit, just like adoption would be a benefit, just like resurrection would be a benefit. It comes as a package deal after you make the decision. Okay, so with Israel, they are chosen to be a nation, a holy priesthood unto God in the desert. And that's where their choosing happens. And he's saying, look, this remnant according to the election of grace is referring to the remnant salvation, And again, choosing by grace is talking about the entire package. Election by grace doesn't mean that before the, the, the creation that God chose individual Jews to be that remnant before they even believe. That's not what it's teaching. It is teaching that election of grace means that the salvation package is grace. Just like Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. What is this? The whole package, right? This is not of yourselves, not of works, so that no man can boast, right? It is the grace of God through faith. The whole package of salvation is called grace. It's the package. So choosing by grace is referring to that package and then what comes after the belief system. So God has always had this. And he goes in verse 6, and if it by grace, then it's no longer works. True, because salvation is by faith alone. He's already established that in Romans 1 through 8. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. So he's trying to contrast that with Judaism and saying they're working for their salvation, and that's why the grace package is different. Verse 7, what then? Israel, talking about the nation, has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded? Yes. The answer is yes. So Israel didn't obtain what they sought. What did Israel seek? Righteousness. 
but they sought righteousness by keeping the law, by keeping works, and by their national heritage. And Paul is saying, that's not how you get saved. That's not how you obtain the righteousness of God. The way you obtain the righteousness of God is through faith. And as an example, in Romans chapter 4, Abraham was credited to righteousness uh, by faith, right? He was justified by faith. And he's made that point, obviously. And so, but the election have obtained it. Yes, why did the elect Israel obtain it? Why did the apostle Paul obtain that righteousness? Because he got saved. Because Paul came to faith in the Messiah. And because of that, he was part of the remnant. That's how you become part of it. And the rest were blinded. Now, that's interesting. Most people get this backwards. Calvinists believe that blinding happens first, that people are blinded or they're born dead. So my, here's my question. It's a logical question. I think it's relevant. If I'm dead spiritually, and I cannot respond whatsoever to any call, any apologetics, anyone telling me the truth, because I'm a dead man, like Lazarus, that's the image they use, then why would he need to blind me? Or how about this? Why would there be a Satan and demons to deceive me? How does a dead person get deceived? Do you see what I'm saying? It doesn't follow. It's a non sequitur. It doesn't follow the argumentation. If I cannot respond, then I have, Satan is no threat for me deceiving me because I'm dead. And anything else that could cause me to misbelieve or, you know, bad theology or something like that, there's no threat of that. Why would I study apologetics? There's no point in that. Because it, I can tell you a PhD argument or whatever from Ken Ham about creation and you still wouldn't believe because he has to make you born again before you will even believe. So you see the problem with Calvinism? They, they make stuff that doesn't seem logical. Why would Paul say the God of this world has blinded them? So what? So what? They're dead. They can't respond anyway. So he's making this idea that the rest were blinded. Okay, so what about blinding? Blinding from God comes as a judgment for rejecting truth. Okay? Notice the sequence. He doesn't blind you before. He blinds you as a penalty for not believing the truth when it's staring you right in the face. What is he referring to? Well, first century Israel. First century Israel saw the Messiah, saw the miracles. It's right in front of them. And those who refuse to believe as a judgment of that will be blinded. Okay. Can you come out of your blindness? Yes, it's not a permanent situation. It is a judgment. And if you want to get out of that situation, what do you need to do? Believe the truth. That's how you escape blindness. You start believing the truth. So yes, you can get out of blindness. People can get out of blindness. Can believers get blind? Yes. Peter will make the point. Second Peter chapter 1 will make the point that if you don't grow and you're not sanctified and you, you're not becoming more like Christ, that you will go into blindness spiritually because you're not growing. And you become myopic, first of all, and then you become spiritually blind. Is there a lot of believers that are spiritually blind right now? Oh, you better believe there are. Absolutely. They're blinder than bats, man. And they don't have a clue spiritually. But they think they see. They think they see. And they think you're crazy. 
Just want to let you know that. Um, but that's what blind people do. They, they grope in the dark thinking you're crazy. And you're saying, look, the, the, the way out of here is right here. Here's the exit. And they're like, you're crazy. I'm going to listen to you. Um, so the whole point about this is blindness comes as a judgment to rejecting the truth. Okay? Verse 8. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear to this very day. So that's a quote, right? quote from uh, Deuteronomy 29, um, and the prophets, Isaiah 29, 10, the writings, Psalm 69, 22, 23. And David says, let the table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their backs always. So this is what we call a judicial hardening, a judicial blinding for rejecting the truth, for the penalty of that. And so the prophets predicted it, and so this is what happened to Israel as a penalty. Okay, verse 11. So, But he's going to make the point that this blindness is not final. They don't have to live like this. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? So the idea is, is this completely irrevocable? Certainly not. In light of all the promises to Israel, it would be unthinkable that God's not going to make good on his promises to Israel. Because if he doesn't make good on his promises to Israel, he is not trustable. And if he's not trustable, then you and I can't trust him for the personal promises he's made to us. That's Paul's point. So when you practice, when people practice replacement theology, they are in effect denying that God keeps his promises. And that kind of God is not the God of the Bible. You can't just take the promises of one person and say, ah, just give them to you, and so we'll abrogate this and make it for you. That's what Islam's God does. Islam's God abrogates things. He changes his mind and then he does something different. That's what Mormon, the Mormon God does. The Mormon God was a racist. Did you know that? Complete, flat-out racist. And then the pressure got on the Mormon church, and guess what their little prophets and apostles said? Oh, God changed his mind, and now here's a new decree. We're not racist anymore. Thank you. That's the gods they serve, right? Okay, but through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Right, absolutely. It's the whole point about Pharaoh. He's going to use Pharaoh for an ultimate purpose, for his glory, for his uh, his message message getting out to the world. So that's what happened here. Because Israel re- Israel's rejection as a nation, the gospel went out and Christ created the church. They, they, let me ask you this. Did Christ know he's going to create the church? Yes, but it was a mystery. It wasn't spoken of in the Old Testament. It got revealed in the New Testament. So God already knew this was going to happen, and thus his plan was to use Israel's judgment to reach the Gentiles through the church. It's always been the plan from day one. So he knew this. Now, if their fall is riches for the world, then failure, riches for the Gentiles, 
how much more their fullness. So what would happen if Israel got saved and how much they're blessing people now in unbelief? How much more would they bless people? Well, the world will see it in the millennial kingdom, but I want you to think about something right now. Israel is blessing us as Gentiles, whether you like it or not, but they are blessing you. There's more PhDs coming out of them, more Nobel Prizes coming out of them, more inventions coming out of them, most of your medical is coming from them, most of your drugs are coming from them, most of the new inventions technologically, the new Silicon Valley is Tel Aviv, not Silicon Valley up here. Most of the things that are now happening and being created is coming from that country. And within 70-something years, they have become from a bottom-of-the-barrel country to a first-rate country in the world in the world. Militarily, think about that. Medically. Now, I know many of you who are older now, and I'll make this statement not to be gross or anything like that, but just to show you. When you start getting older, you have to have colonoscopies. That's just what happens, right? And the whole procedure is horrible. The drinking of the stuff, it's horrible, right? It's 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 the worst experience I've ever had in my life. Yeah, I told him to put me asleep because I said, I ain't watching that, man. That's bad. That is bad. It was was horrible. So I dreamt when I was asleep, I dreamt that a hamburger was eating me. So I'll I'll take my my chances with a dream. So I heard the news, what Israel developed. Get this, for all you people who are at the age of colonoscopy land. Israel has developed, you don't have to do any of that. We have a device the size of a pill that you swallow with water, and it goes into your colon and takes pictures as it's going through your colon. No more colonoscopies for Israelites. Now, I think I would prefer that. I think that's a lot easier on my system, just to swallow a simple pill. It has a camera. But who invented it? The Jews. They are blessing the world even in unbelief. You see that. Most of your medicine is coming from Tel Aviv. Most of your electronics are coming from that. Uh, and they're, they're first rate on solar power. And, and by the way, every farmer needs to thank them. Why? They invented the drip system because they're in a desert and they're getting a very limited supply of water from the Jordanian River, which comes from the uh, Mount Hermon. And they had to figure out a way to turn Israel into a garden. And what they did is invent the drip system. A drip system goes back ancient. They used to do it in pots. But in California, because my family was into farming and my wife's family was into farming, they did flood irrigation. Flood irrigation. And, and so the Jews came over and said, no, 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 <laughs> You're wasting too much water here. You do a drip. Oh, now everybody has a drip. Thank the Jews for that. So when Paul says, what happens when they're blessing the world, when they're unbelief, what happens when they come into belief? Lights out. It's lights out what they will do for the world. Lights out. And we'll see that in the demonstrated in the Messianic kingdom. Okay. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, that's his calling, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are of my flesh, the Jews, and save some of them, right? And that's what he did to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. 
For if their being cast away is reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? And you'll see that they will uh, in the Messianic kingdom. Now notice this in verse 16. For if, and he's now going to provide a, a reason for believing the future restoration of Israel, okay? For if the first fruit, the first fruit re- re- refers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, okay? Is holy. So yes, the patriarchs were holy. The lump, the lump refers to the nation of Israel, okay? The lump is also holy. And if the root, the root is the Abrahamic covenant, is holy, so are the branches. The branches, obviously, uh, the Israelites. So make sure you have your definitions here. I'll, I'll go over it again. The first fruits are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The lump is the nation of Israel. The root is the Abrahamic covenant. And the branches are individual Jews. Okay? Verse 17. So if if you have those definitions, you're going to need them for the next few verses. And if some of the branches, referring to Israelites, Jews, right, were broken off. Okay, broken off means judged, judged for their unbelief, okay? Judged for their unbelief. And you, being wild olive tree, a wild olive tree, it's referring to us Gentiles, were grafted in among them, so us Gentiles being situated into this tree, and with them became, notice the word, a partaker of the root, and the fatness of the olive tree. Okay, that needs some explaining. Paul is very, very careful, if you notice in the text, to use the word partaker. He doesn't say overtaker. He says you're partaking of something. And he's going to say that eventually you don't support the root, the root supports you. Okay. So the first thing we have to understand is what is the tree? What is the root and what is the tree that grows from this root that you and I have been grafted into? That becomes a big deal to understand in in avoiding replacement theology, okay? So at the core of it, what he's referring to, this tree that's growing, is the Abrahamic covenant. That is the basis of all blessings, all promises made to Israel and spiritual blessings as well that those who get engrafted into it as Gentiles, they partake of a particular aspect of the Abrahamic covenant. Okay. So the Abrahamic covenant, if you ever study it, when you see its embryonic giving to Abraham, has three aspects involved in it. The land, a Davidic throne, or a king. At, at, at Abraham's time, it wasn't, it wasn't defined very well, but it was there, an eternal dynasty, basically. And then a blessing aspect of the Abrahamic covenant. So you have three aspects embedded in the Abrahamic covenant. Land, a kingdom or dynasty, blessing aspect, okay? 
So as time goes on, the definitions of these other sub-covenants under the Abrahamic covenant come to fruition. The land covenant obviously refers to the land given to Israel. It's always theirs, always will be, even in the Messianic kingdom. So that's specific to Israel, okay? The other aspect is the dynasty aspect, the kingdom aspect. That, again, we know from 2 Samuel, Second Samuel uh, that, that that refers to the Davidic monarchy as an eternal dynasty ruled and reigned by the Messiah himself, a human that is eternal on the throne. So that's, again, reference to Israel. And then there's the blessing aspect. Now, the blessing aspect has two folds in it. The blessing aspect refers to spiritual blessings and physical blessings. It is part of the new covenant. So that gets spelled out by Jeremiah. And in the new covenant, Israel, as you can see in, I think it's Jeremiah 31 or, yeah, 31. Um, it, this is the new covenant I make with the house of Israel and Judah. It's specific to Israel. Okay, And in the New Covenant, it refers to a spiritual blessing and a physical blessing. Obviously, because Israel's not, as a nation, come to faith, they're not experiencing uh, the physical or spiritual blessings of that aspect. Okay, so now follow me. The Gentiles are now being put into the tree. They're wild olive trees being grafted in. But Paul uses the term partaker, that you and I are partaking of some specific aspect of the Abrahamic covenant. And that specific aspect is what we call the new covenant. And let me define it even further, because Ephesians 1 will make this point, that we partake in the spiritual blessings of the Abrahamic covenant but not the physical blessings, not the land, not the Davidic dynasty. So Paul makes that clear in Ephesians 1 if you read what he says that we have in Christ. Basically, he says we have all spiritual blessings in the Messiah, which refers to the new covenant. Hence, the way you get into the new covenant is by salvation. Salvation in the Messiah, right? Uh, the, the new covenant is made in the Messiah's blood. So the New Covenant incorporates not only Israel, but it can incorporate Gentiles into it. And it's the root is the Abrahamic Covenant. It all comes from that. So when you and I believe in Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, you are grafted into this tree and you partake of the sap that only relates to the spiritual blessings of the Abrahamic or New Covenant. Okay. Any questions on that one? Because that's, that's pretty thick. I know. Um, you have to know the covenants to know what Paul's trying to refer to. Okay. That being the case, if you're cool there, let's continue it because it gets a little tricky here. Do not boast against the branches. He's talking to the Gentiles, not boasting against the Jewish branches, okay? But if you do boast, if you want to get prideful about this and, and get all... Get, get all haughty about this and start condemning the Jews and saying, oh, I can't believe they made that big mistake. I can't believe that. It's so obvious. He says this, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. This is a Jewish covenant that you've been allowed to come into, right? 
So you, you don't support it. It supports you. Verse 19. So Paul's going to expect some type of opposition. He says, you will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief, they, the unbelieving aspect of Israel, were broken off, judged, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. Let's unpack that. So he's anticipating these Gentiles saying, hey, look, God had a plan that he was going to break off the Jews and then incorporate the Gentiles. Aha, and that's where the occasion of pride comes in, thinking that way. But Paul adjusts it and says, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. The reason they were broken off is because of unbelief, right? And you have been incorporated by faith. So at the end of the day, you have nothing to boast about. This wasn't something that God did without you know, their will involved. He allowed them to choose whether or not they're going to be in covenant with him or not. And if they didn't, he broke them off. And now we have the church, right? Okay, now read the next passage, and it says, For if God did not spare the natural branches, basically judge them for unbelief, he may not spare you either. Now, that starts getting tricky. What does he mean by that? Keep reading. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God. So balance the two out, he's saying. You got the goodness and grace of God, but then you have the judgment of God is what he's saying. On those who fail, severity, right? On who, how did you fall? How did Israel fall? Unbelief, right? And then they were judged for their unbelief. But towards you, goodness, why? Because you believed if you continue in his goodness. What do you mean if I continue in his goodness? If you continue, otherwise, you also will be cut off. Cut off, I'm going to lose salvation? Oh, man, the, the, the people who believe in salvation be, can be lost are really on these verses. What does Paul mean? Look, the Jews were cut off. You start boasting against them, he'll cut you off too, man. Spiritual blessings, maybe? Why is he equating that to unbelief of Jews, though? Get more defined. Access to God, Maybe. It's true, the Jews have lost access to God because they're not going through the Messiah. That's very true. So they don't have access to him, even though they think so. One of the things the Jews boasted of is that they thought they were automatically saved because they were Jews. That was a common rabbinical thought and teaching, right? And the law. So they had two elements. This arguer with Paul, a Gentile obviously arguing, is saying, look, I got saved. I don't know what their problem is, but I'm saved. That's on them. So there's a boasting element to this. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to phrase this the right way. Let's see if I can give you a hint. The boasting element has to do that, that God will forever keep yeah, but Jesse, you're on to something, and Paul's on to something. It's judgment, but it's access. It's the message going out, okay? It has to do with that, that you Gentiles are now getting the message. You're getting the gospel of the Jewish Messiah, but you can make the same mistake as the Jews who got the message of the Messiah and then rejected it. 
and you will end up in the same fate as the Jews. So you have to think a little bit more broader. Remember, what's the lump? The nation of Israel. So when we're referring to the lump contextually, we're not referring to individual Jews. We're referring to the nation of Israel. Okay, so the nation has been broken off. Now, individual Jews have come to faith in the Messiah and they're part of been, they're, they're the natural olive tree and they're, they're in, inside, right? Inside the thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're still pro-Israel, but he's trying to make the point that you better learn a lesson for with, with what God did to Israel, Gentiles. That if you pull the same stunt, then you're going to be severely punished as well. So that's it's not being pro-Israel. It's just saying you're going to get the same medicine as Israel got. Yeah. So let me let me let me put this out there, and this might help you guys. It's not about the church. Not about the church at all. That's not his argument. He's making a humanistic contrast. There are only two types of humans, Jews and Gentiles. That's it. So when Paul starts throwing that terminology, Gentile, instead of uh, church, ecclesia, you all, that type of thing would be in the Greek. I know that sounds bad in English, but the Greek is actually saying you all. Uh, the argument he starts to make when he starts throwing Jew and Gentile out there, he is actually going on a people level, if that makes sense. He's, he's not talking about the church at all at this point. So what could that possibly be? Go ahead, Paul. Remember, it's not about the church. It has nothing to do with the church. Go in your outline and look at verse 25 real quick. And maybe this will give you a clue. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. That blindness in part has happened to Israel. Why is it in part? Is because a remnant still believes and sees, right? Okay, there's always Jewish believers. Always been and always will be because they believe. Until what? The fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Okay, so now we understand that we're talking about Gentiles on a nationalistic level rather than a church level. Hence, hence, if that is the background, he's contrasting Jew and Gentile, his point to the Gentile who is arguing with him, he's not making an argument for the church per se, is that when he says the Gentiles can get broken off just the same as Israel means that if the Gentiles stop responding to the gospel, I will cut them off the same way as I did to Israel. It's not a church deal. It's not about losing your salvation. It is about when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, what, what day is that? When the last Gentile gets saved in this age... You have the rapture. That's the signal for the rapture. Now, you and I won't know it, but that when God saves the last Gentiles, then the fullness, not the times of the Gentiles, the fullness of the Gentiles has been completed. And guess what he does? What does God do once the Gentiles in the church 
All the Gentiles have, that are going to come to faith in this time period have all come in as much as they're going to be, and the last one is saved, then what does he do once the church is raptured? So the church is somewhat semi-involved in this. Uh, you know, you have to be coming into the church. We're referring to Gentiles. When the last Gentile is saved, what does God do with Israel? Starts the program with them again. Because the Gentiles have stopped responding. Once they're done responding, I will then restart my program with Israel, and I will work with them now. Notice he works with Gentiles once Israel gets cut off. Then he goes back to working with Israel once the Gentiles are now cut off. Now, let me ask you this question. Does that mean in the tribulation, Gentiles will not be saved? No, because the same is true with Israel. We know that the nation of Israel is not in salvation, right, as a nation. But what do we know? There's a what? A remnant still believing, a small remnant that still believes in the Messiah. Flip it now and go into the tribulation. He's working through Israel now, trying to get Israel saved. Does that mean that there will be a remnant of Gentiles be saved? Yes, it's the same pattern. Follow the pattern. Follow the pattern. So the cutting off doesn't refer to believers. It refers to the gospel going out to the Gentiles. We're done. It's ended. The Gentiles had a good run 2,000 years. They had a pretty good run. But just like he said, what's happening in America? The Gentiles are not responding anymore. See, most people think, well, we're just going to play, uh, you know, get smoking lights, and we got to get uh, a fog machine, and then the guy, the pastor, even though he's 60, needs to wear skinny jeans and pretend he's 21. And then we have all that fog, and he comes out like that with a cape, and, and that will really appeal to the young people. And then we just rock and roll, and we'll get these young people. That is so stupid. It is so ignoramus. Because there's a spiritual thing going on. If you understand prophecy, which a lot of pastors don't, you would understand why the younger group is not responding. Why is it that the millennials are only 4% born again out of 80 million? Why is Generation Z not responding completely? They're like less than 1% to the gospel. Because the times of the Gentiles is coming to an end. It is finished. God is done trying to reach the Gentiles. Will there be a remnant? Of course there will be. Will the gospel still go out to them? Of course. But the main emphasis in the tribulation is getting Israel saved. So this is why the rock and roll shows and the hipster doofuses pastors think they're going to reach the young. You're not. It's the times of the Gentiles are ending. That's why no one in America is responding. That's why in some denominations... 50% of the people who were in lockdown are not coming back. They're just not coming back to church. Why? Because it sifted them out. They weren't believers anyway. It sifted them. And so at the end of the day, folks, when people say, well, we've got to reach the young people. Yeah, I agree. But we're not going to do anything different than we would reach an old person to a young person, a senior saint, to whatever. We're going to keep doing what God called us to do. I don't need to change my methodology. I don't need to do that because I know spiritually what's happening with people. Their minds are all messed up. The God of this world has blinded them, and the times 
are ending for them. And if the time ends, do a comparison. When the time ended for first century Israel, and they got blinded after rejecting the Messiah, then what happened to them physically? Scattered, number one. So the thing that happened to their temple in Jerusalem. Destroyed. So a harem, a harem, H-A-R-E-M, Hebrew, harem was pronounced through the unpardonable sin, and they were physically judged and spiritually broken off. Now, we've seen that for the last two years. Okay, so guess what? Again, flip the pattern over. Flip the pattern over to the tribulation. Once the times of the Gentiles has ended and the last Gentile gets saved and is part of the church and the church is gone and raptured out, then what's the judgment on the Gentiles? It's worse than what Israel went through. It's called the tribulation. All day long, Gentiles, I have held out my arms to you just like I did to my nation Israel. And all day long for 2,000 years, I have called you into salvation. But you were not willing, were you? Well, guess what? Your time has ended and your judgment is coming. The tribulation is not just simply to vice-grip Israel to, make, you know, to force them to come to faith in the Messiah. Oh, no, there's another reason. It's for the judgment of the Gentiles through the 20 eight plagues, and seven of them, we don't know what they are. They're called the seven thunders. All 28 plagues will destroy the Gentile nations. Will there be a remnant saved? Yes, there will be, but that's not the purpose. The purpose is to cut the Gentiles finally off. Any questions on that one? I know that's a lot. There is. No, it's, it's the midpoint of the tribulation when Antichrist makes them receive a mark. So the Gentiles and the Jews in the first half of the three and a half years get a chance to do it through the preaching of the two witnesses, through the preaching of the 144,000. And what you see in Revelation 7 is a massive revival among the Jews and Gentiles. It's, it's both. It's both. And, and if you look to Revelation 20, I saw the martyrs that had been beheaded. The, the tribulation saints include Jew and Gentile. But the point of no return is the mark of the beast. And that happens at three and a half year mark. So if you take that mark in Revelation, what, 14, the angels says, if you take that mark, you're going to the, the, the lake of fire. So that's the point of no return. But they still have a chance. They will get a chance, but they'll probably die over it. They'll probably be martyred by the whore. It's not going to end pretty, but they will be saved. So there's a, there's a big revival that comes from the 144,000. Yeah, absolutely. They do get a second chance. He does. He warns them not to do it because it's the point of no return. Yeah, they'll still do it. And so at the end of the day... They will choose to worship the beast rather than the creator, and that's it. That's the point of no return. They're dead men walking at that point. And, and so that becomes, at the end, uh, the sheep and goat judgment, they become the goats that, that are judged and then immediately thrown into uh, the pit. So on the other hand, 
somewhere back there. Chad, Chad, go ahead. Trying to accomplish something through a Gentile antichrist. Um, I guess the only thing I would say um, what he's trying to accomplish is to derail Israel from their true Messiah. He's, he's blinding them so they would accept even a Gentile Messiah, which is unthinkable. Um, but he's going he's gonna to make it look so good that it's, it's, it's beyond temptation. They can't, they can't restrain themselves. And so most people think, well, they're never going to accept a Gentile uh, Messiah. Oh, yeah. Uh, wait till this guy's on the scene. This guy has powers that no one's ever seen before. So I think it's all about decep- deceiving Israel, obviously, to get into a covenant of death. Um, and then, obviously, God works it to where this Gentile, Antichrist, turns on them and tries to wipe them out. Uh, most Jews would not practice that. Uh, maybe George Soros, but um, maybe him. But even if you take a rabbi, they're, they're, they would never practice, you know. It's, it's ridiculous to think of, of personal, anti-Semitism, personal anti-Semitism. Um, it's a far stretch, but it's more likely to come from, a, obviously, a Gentile that would hate them, who's pretending to like them, but then turns on them like a sheep-killing dog. Um, okay, any other questions? Is that clear as mud? I know that was a lot to take in and a lot to think about. But at the end of the day, the same pattern you see with Israel is going to happen to the Gentiles as well. Thank God. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Anchor Bible Study Podcast. We hope that this lesson is a blessing to you and helps grow you towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has another podcast called Anchor Sunday Sermons, and it's filled with past and present messages in Revelation, Genesis, and Exodus. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear it, please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services for the Anchor Sunday Sermons. Support for both of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up, for our redemption draws nearer.